Please uh, open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. Um, so, uh, and today we're continuing our sermon series through the New Testament book of Ephesians. And th- th- there are two ways you can look at this. You can look at uh, today's sermon text as that we are, we are only covering part of one verse, or you can look at it as we're covering five words. So whichever is more encouraging to you. But these are five very important words. In love he predestined us. Five weighty and significant words. In love he predestined us. Five weighty words in a very weighty section of Scripture. That you, If you've been with us for the last couple of weeks, or if you're just familiar with Ephesians chapter 1, then you know that Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 to verse 14 is a very weighty section of Scripture. And all of these verses in our English translation are all just one long verse without punctuation, without periods, in uh, the original Greek text of over 200 words. This long prayer hymn of doctrine and doxology. We're going through it slowly, little bit by little bit. And last week we looked at verse 4, and I don't normally do this, but if you were not here last Sunday, then I I urge you, I really do, I urge you to go back and and listen or watch that sermon, Um, not because I think it's so wonderful, but because that sermon lays the foundation for today's sermon. And for the sermons that are to come, and I'm unable to re-preach everything from, from that long sermon. However, he, here is a very, very brief, and I hope helpful, review. Last week we looked at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, which says, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. And the he is God the Father, the him is Jesus the Son. So we asked the question last week, what did God do? And we see that God the Father chose. He elected us to be saved according to his gracious purpose, according to his sovereign will, according to his love for us. Then we asked the question, well, when did God do it? Well, God chose, God elected us to be saved, the text tells us, before the foundation of the world. That's incredible. That before you were born... God set his love on you. And that your decision to love God, your decision to love Jesus and to follow him as your Lord and Savior is because of God's prior electing sovereign love for you. And that God did not choose to save you, did not choose to love you because of something that you have done or something you would do. No, God chose to, to, no, you chose to trust in Jesus and to believe the gospel because God chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world. And you think, yes, Richard, but I remember choosing to follow Christ. And I know you did because I did too. The point, though, is that you and I, we chose to follow Christ only because of God's free, sovereign, and gracious choice which preceded ours before the foundation of the world. And this is the important foundation for our text today, which is the final phrase of verse 4 and the very beginning of verse 5. These these five words, in love he predestined us. Now, we're just going to preach through those those five words, but I'm going to remind you that I'm going to continue this week and the weeks to come to read all of this 
magnificent section, all of Ephesians 1, verse 3 to verse 14, because I want us to see the, the theology and the truth in each and every verse, but I don't want us to miss the context of this whole section. In other words, I, I want us to, to see the individual trees and yet not lose sight of the forest in which they are found. And so hear now God's holy, inerrant, inspired, authoritative, sufficient, life-giving word. I'll begin reading in Ephesians 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us, for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. And it's absolutely true. And it's given to us in love for our good. And so we're going to look at these, these five words under two headings. In love, and then we'll look at he predestined us with a focus on that middle word, big word predestined. So if you look at the end of verse 4 and the beginning of verse 5, in love he predestined us, and I'll go ahead and give you the rest of the context, for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Now, we're going to save spiritual adoption until next Sunday. That's, that's worthy of its own sermon, so come back for that. And ladies, if you're looking at the, verse 5 and it says that he predestined us for adoption to himself, himself as sons, if ladies, if you're something, well, that's weird. Why does it not say as children? Why does it not say sons and daughters? Well, you've got to come back next week because that's covenantal language. It's covenantal language that you, you've been made an heir. Men and women in Christ are our heirs, heirs of this inheritance. And, and, and if that bothers you to think about being adopted at being called a son, remember, ladies, that, that men and women are also the bride of Christ. And so it cuts both ways, okay? So well, more, about that, more about that next Sunday. As we think deeply and biblically about the doctrine of election and predestination, it's crucial that we do not miss what the Bible tells us is the explicit motive, and that's God's love. Do you see that at the end of verse 4? In love. In love. You can't miss that. I can't say it enough. You can't hear me say it enough. In love he predestined us. God's choice to save us before the foundation of the world, 
God's choice to predestine us for adoption was not some cold, sterile, abstract decision made by an uncaring and impersonal God. It's not that at all. If you've ever been tempted to think that way, then stop that line of thinking because that's not what the Bible teaches us. I mean, look again at verses 4 and 5. This is an act of love. In love he predestined us. It's an act of love. It's an act of God's infinite, eternal, unchanging, omnipotent, amazing love for undeserving sinners like us. That God elects those who are saved because of his love. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons. See, love is is God's motive. Not just here in Ephesians 1 verses 4 and 5. But, but, but throughout the Bible, in the Old Testament and other places in the New Testament. So, for example, in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 to 8, we read, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you are the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. So why did God choose the people of Israel? It wasn't because of anything they did. It wasn't because they were worthy. It wasn't because they were special. It wasn't because they were superior. It was because he loved them. And why did he love them? It was because he chose to set his love on them. And this is something that we see in other places in the New Testament. We'll keep coming back to this over and over again throughout the, the, Paul's letter to the Ephesians. For example, in Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5, we read, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. See, in love, he predestined us. And this doctrine of election we find in the Old Testament, that we find in Jesus' teaching, as we saw last week, we find in the letters of the apostles, makes plain the truth that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. Dear Christian, in love, he predestined you. He set his love on you before the foundation of the world. Listen to how Pastor Ian Hamilton puts it. Divine predestination is rooted in the Heavenly Father's love. In love he predestined us. Rooted in the Heavenly Father's love, which is beyond our fathoming. But it is the same love that sent the Son of God into the world to be the Savior of the world. It's a love we can trust even when we cannot, through our present creaturely sinfulness, fully comprehend. He says, in love he predestined us. God's choice to save us before the foundation of the world, God's choice to predestine us for adoption was not some cold, sterile, abstract decision made by an uncaring and impersonal God. Rather, it is an act of love. This is an act of God's infinite, eternal, unchanging, omnipotent love for undeserving sinners like us. In love, he predestined us. So let's look then at those next three words. He predestined us. We see in verses 4 and 5, in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. 
Now, that Greek word translated as predestined, it means to foreordain, to predetermine, to predestine. But another way, it simply means what it says. It means what you would think it means, to determine ahead of time. There are no etymological tricks to play with the original Greek here. Predestination means that God determines something in advance. And in verse 5, we see that in love, God the Father predestined. In love, he foreordained. In love, he predetermined that the elect would be saved and adopted into his family through Jesus Christ. Now, I'm well aware that as soon as some of us hear that word predestination, we think, oh, Richard, I want to like you. But I don't believe in predestination. In fact, I've been told that so many times. So many times in in the last 20 years. Many times, even in the last month or so, I was even told it this past week. However, if you desire to be a biblical Christian who knows the Bible, who, who believes the Bible, who loves the Bible, who trusts the Bible as the Word of God, then you do have a doctrine of predestination because your Bible says a lot about predestination. Now, we may disagree on what it means, but you do believe in predestination. You know, the Greek word we translate as predestined in our English translation, it appears six times in the New Testament. Twice in Ephesians 1, in verse 5, it's going to show up again later, twice in Romans 8. Now, think about that. Twice in Ephesians 1, twice in Romans 8. If you're familiar with your New Testament, you know that Ephesians 1 and Romans 8 are two of the, the most beloved chapters in the whole New Testament. And that word predestination shows up twice in both chapters. It's also in Acts chapter 4 verse 28, also in 1 Corinthians 2, 7. In all of these verses, the word predestined serves to emphasize God's sole initiative and his sovereign will in our salvation because of his love for undeserving sinners like us. That in love he predestined us. So you see, every Bible-believing Christian believes in predestination, but the question is, what kind of predestination do we believe? What do we understand Ephesians 1 to be teaching us about God? What do we understand Ephesians 1 to be teaching us about how God saves people? At this point, I want to take you back to something I said last week. I want to remind you of that that note that the pastor-theologian R.C. Sproul wrote to himself and put on his desk, where he would always see it. That desk said, You are required to believe, to preach, and to teach what the Bible says is true, not what you want the Bible to say is true. In all caps, where he would always see it. As I said last week, I say again today, my commitment to you is that I will endeavor with all of my heart to believe, to preach, to teach what the Bible says is true, and not what I want the Bible to say is true. And I plead with you to make that same commitment back to me, that regardless of your church background, regardless of the presuppositions that you bring into this sanctuary about Presbyterians, Calvinism, election, Reformed theology, predestination, I ask you to commit to me that you'll be willing to believe what the Bible says is true and not what you want the Bible to say is true. So let's look carefully at Ephesians 1, the last part of verse 4, the beginning of verse 5. In love, he predestined us 
for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. And to help us understand what's meant by that word predestined, I want to do it by, by thinking about, reflecting on three common objections to the Reformed understanding of this biblical doctrine of predestination. Three common objections. And before I say that, I, I, I do want to acknowledge this. It, it's, not just, it's not just me who believes this. All of our pastors believe it. Our elders believe it. Our deacons believe it. Charles Spurgeon, Jonathan Edwards, John Calvin, Martin Luther, Thomas Aquinas, Augustine, as we looked at last week, Paul, Peter, Jesus believe in this doctrine of election, this doctrine of predestination. So here's the first objection. God predestined that there would be a holy people, but he didn't predestine individuals. Someone says, say something like this, that God merely predestined that there would be a holy people without actually choosing and predetermining who the holy people would be. However, Paul does not say that God predestined that there would merely be a holy people, a holy people, a group of people in Christ. But Paul says in Ephesians 1.4, as you can see for yourself, in love, God predestined us. He says to the Ephesian Christians, in love, God predestined you. Not just that there would be a people, but he predestined actual people. He got, in love, God predestined us for this salvation. In love, God predestined us for this spiritual adoption. Or as Pastor Richard Phillips explains, verse 5 does not say that God predestined the principle of adoption as the way of salvation, but that he predestined us to be actually adopted into his family. God chose us to be his people. He predestined us to be his adopted sons. See, dear Christian, God the Father is your heavenly Father. God the Father is your heavenly Father, and he predestined you in love to be adopted into his family through Jesus Christ. Now, for the second objection, I want, you to, I want you to turn to Romans chapter 8. The second way that many people try to explain away the, this understanding of predestination. Turn to Romans 8, verses 29 and 30. Paul writes, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. See, another way that some people attempt to explain away this biblical doctrine of predestination is by pointing out that God's foreknowledge, he foreknew, God's foreknowledge precedes predestination. So in an attempt to explain away the biblical doctrine of predestination, some people will say that God looked down through the corridors of time and foresaw that certain people would believe, and then because of their faith, God then predestined their salvation. So according to this view, God foresaw our faith. Therefore, our salvation ultimately rests on our faith. Our salvation ultimately rests on our act of believing which then causes or allows God to choose us. But this would actually be post-destination, not predestination. It would be post-destination contingent on man's will, not predestination according to the purpose of God's will. 
which is what what Ephesians 1 tells us. And this cannot be so because of what we learned last week in Ephesians 1.4, that God the Father chooses, God the Father elects us to be saved when? Before the foundation of the world, according to his purpose, according to his sovereign will. Not according to our will, according to his sovereign will, according to his great love for us. That our salvation was not based upon some foreseen condition that we and some other people meet while others fail to meet it. That your salvation was not based solely on God the Father. Your salvation was based solely on God the Father's free, gracious, loving choice. Or put another way, we were not chosen by God for salvation because of any merit in us. Rather than, in spite of our utter unworthiness, we were chosen by God before the foundation of the world. Not because of anything special or superior in us, but because of God's sheer mercy, grace, and love. This is a salvation that is by grace alone. Which is what we heard in our assurance of pardon and comfort earlier in this service. Paul says in Titus chapter 3, verse 5, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. Not because of works done by us. Not because of any works done by us. Not because of any decisions made by us. But according to his own mercy. Now, look again at Romans 8, verses 29 and 30. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Okay, so let's think about this word foreknew. That Greek word translated foreknew, it literally means to know beforehand. Now, it's important that we do not misunderstand what Paul's saying. He's not saying that in eternity past, God looked down through the corridors of time and foresaw who would trust him, who would believe the gospel, who would follow Jesus, and then it was these people whom God predestined, called, justified, and glorified. So how do we know that's not what Paul means? Well, Paul can't mean that God's foreknowledge is merely foresight. That it's not merely foresight because God, God had foresight of every person who would ever exist. God had foresight of everyone, but we see that the foreknowledge, the people whom he foreknew in this unbreakable chain in Romans 8, 29, and 30, these people, they're part of this unbreakable chain. They go from those whom God foreknew to those whom he predestined, to those whom he called, to those whom he justified, to those whom he glorified. And every person who's in this unbreakable chain is someone who will become a Christian and will one day be glorified in heaven. I mean, do you see that? That not one person is lost in this unbreakable chain. It's not a funnel where there were many people that he foresaw with his foresight and then he predestined some of them and he called some of them, he justified some of them, and he glorified some of them. It's not this funnel. Do you see that? No one is lost in this unbreakable chain. Everyone who was foreknown is also predestined. Everyone who's foreknown and predestined is also called. Everyone who was foreknown, predestined, and called is also justified. And praise God, everyone who is foreknown, everyone who is predestined, everyone who is called, everyone who is justified will also be glorified. And praise God. And yet we know that not every person 
will become a follower of Jesus. And not every person will be saved. And we know that not every person will be in heaven. Okay, so back to that question. How are we to understand for new? Turn with me in your Bibles to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7. What Jesus says in Matthew 7, verses 21 to 23. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I never knew you. Jesus says, I never knew you. That doesn't mean that that God doesn't know about someone or that he doesn't know what they will do because God knows about everyone. He has foresight of everyone. But let's return to this prior question. What is meant by foreknew? Because understanding foreknew clarifies the biblical doctrine of predestination. In the Bible, when we are told that God knows someone, it often means that he has set his love on them in a personal way, in a distinguishing way. So for example, in the Old Testament, in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, we read, Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived. Adam knew her in a distinguishing way, in a unique way. He, he loved her. He loved her. Often, whenever we read about God knowing someone or God foreknowing someone, it's really synonymous with God loving them. God foreloving them. Listen to how John Murray explains it. Know is used in a sense practically synonymous with love. Whom he foreknew is therefore virtually equivalent to whom he foreloved. Knowledge is sovereign, distinguishing love. In love, he predestined us. God knew and knows about every person, but the point of Romans 8.29 is that there are some people, the elect, chosen by God before the foundation of the world, whom God set his love on before the beginning of time. Or put another way, it's not that God foresaw what we would do. Rather, God foresaw and foreloved us as his beloved people. And what an incredible truth this is. And what a comforting truth this is. See, dear Christian, your salvation depends on God's love for you. Your salvation depends on God's love for you, and God's love for you is infinite, eternal, unchanging. See, this is a salvation which is rooted in God. This is a salvation that is by God's grace alone and by God's grace from start to finish. It's a salvation by God's grace alone and nothing of our own works. This brings us to the the third and the final objection. that, That some people will say, but Richard, I hear what you're saying, but predestination seems, it seems so unfair. That it seems so unfair. And and people will often say that to me, really through tears. They'll say it with tears in their eyes. You know, tender-hearted saints, dear saints, who who love God, who love his word, who who are struggling to understand. And they say, but predestination seems so unfair. 
And praise God that, that the Bible addresses this issue. The Apostle Paul addresses this in Romans chapter 9. So if you'll turn your Bibles to Romans 9, beginning in verse 10, Paul writes, And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. So God chose to set his love on Jacob and not his twin brother Esau before they were born, before either had done anything good or bad. As the verse tells us, not because of works, but because of him who calls. Not because of works, but in order that God's purpose of election might continue. And then in the very next verse, the question of fairness, the question of injustice is raised. So look at Romans 9 verse 14. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? We know the answer is no. Is there injustice on God's part? Paul says, by no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. You see, whenever, whenever the question is raised, is there injustice on God's part? What God's word does is turns it back to God's mercy. You're focusing in the wrong place. Don't lose sight of in love he predestined us. Don't lose sight of God's mercy. Don't lose sight of God's grace. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. Verse 16, so then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. In love he predestined us. See, this is a salvation that's by grace alone. Now listen to this, I think, pastoral and very helpful quote from Richard Phillips. It's not as if God looked down on a neutral humanity. So let me say this again. It's not as if God looked down on a neutral humanity, deciding to make some believe and others reject him. We know from Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We'll get to Ephesians 2.1 one day, and it says, We were dead in our trespasses and sins. Rather, God looked upon a humanity that was united in sin, united in unbelief, united in rebellion against their creator. This is why election is in Christ, joined with God's plan to send his son to die for our sins. God passes by some sinful rebels to be saved, allowing them to continue their hell-bound course to the praise of his justice, Others he saves to the glory of his mercy. For as Paul says in Romans 9, 16, it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. So the biblical doctrine of election, the biblical doctrine of predestination is not unjust. Because no one is in a neutral relationship with God. In fact, justice is not what we want from God. We are all sinners deserving of hell. We want and we need grace from God. As James Montgomery Boyce puts it, it's not justice we want from God, it's grace. 
And grace cannot be commanded. It must flow to us from God's sovereign purposes decreed before the foundation of the world or it must not come at all. You see, and this table before us reminds us that while we do not want justice from God, God's righteous and holy justice was satisfied on Calvary's cross when Jesus the Son died as our substitute, our atoning sacrifice, to cancel 100% of our sin debt. And so putting all of this together, dear Christian, God the Father chose you. In love, he predestined you. Before the foundation of the world to be his, to be saved from your sins, not because of anything you did or would done, would do or have done, but the Father set his love on you because he loves you. That God loved you before you loved him. God loved you before you trusted in his son. God loved you even before his son came. God loved you even before the creation of the world. In love, he predestined you to be adopted into his family. And so can this love for you be that big, that long, that high, that deep, that wide? The answer is yes, indeed. And if it's rooted in eternity, which it is, before the foundation of the world, it will also last for eternity. See, this table reminds us that the righteous and holy justice of God was satisfied on Calvary's cross, and we are recipients of God's grace because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus the Son. In love, he predestined us. And as the old hymn puts it, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Amen. Let's pray. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as his sons. Father, please write these truths upon our hearts. Lord, hear our prayers now as we silently prepare our hearts to come to the Lord's table.